This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, February 17th, 2023. On today's episode of the show, we are going to gather around the virtual water cooler and talk about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor BJ Colangelo. Hi, hi, hiya. All right, BJ, what have you been doing recently? Oh, you know, screaming into the void. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's my my main hobby right now outside of work. Uh, but in all seriousness, I have been falling down a YouTube rabbit hole lately. I discovered a channel called Trash Theory, and they do a lot of video essays on music, um, specifically a lot of British music. And it is some fascinating stuff. <laughs> so what kind of stuff are they diving into? Are they talking about like the history of bands or what What are we working with here? So the thing that I find most interesting, like they have a couple of different like areas of expertise, but the one that I am the most interested in is what he's been calling the new British canon. And the idea is that like we have analyzed the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and bands like that just to death at this point. Like no one needs another video essay on why the Beatles are influential. Like we got it. We know. Mm -hmm. um, so what he's been doing is he's been doing these videos about other British artists that have been really influential. Um, like he did one on Kate Bush and then did another video on Kate Bush after Stranger Things kind of exploded. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just been really fascinating to look at the different ways that British artists have continued to influence the global you know, music sphere in ways that we may not have ever realized. And it's, you know, completely like not genre specific. So you can get like MIA and talking about like why Paper Planes was so important. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, two videos later, you get One Direction and the revival of pop boy bands. Wow. Um, so it's been really, really interesting. And this week it was uh, talking about like the band Wet Leg, which, you know, was nominated for some Grammys and how they kind of came out of nowhere in the pandemic. So it's just been really cool to, <laughs> to, to learn more about it. Yeah, that's great. I love that idea. The, uh, the sort of like um, alternate canon type of thing like that. I feel like that could apply really well to film too. Cause like, obviously I love Steven Spielberg, but like we probably don't need another uh, video essay about how great Steven Spielberg is, you know, like that kind of thing. So, right. Um, and I think that that like, it definitely does speak to my sensibilities. Like if you follow me on social media, I always describe myself as like a queen of dismissed cinema. I love talking about movies that, you know, people are not talking about like those mm -hmm. are, that's a big passion of mine, but yeah, the, the new British canon stuff is just really interesting because you've got like, 
you know, you'll have The Damned and Aphex Twin and Block Party and just all of these different bands or even like, you know, Motorhead, right? Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. uh, bands like that where it's like, like, think about how British music has continued to influence. And it's like, you know, that's that's really interesting. Like that's, that's fascinating stuff. But then, you know, there's also just like regular music stuff, like, you know, 21st century rock music. Uh, there's, you know, playlists on punk music and, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of film essays too, which is, which is fascinating. That's actually how I got there. I think the algorithm was like, you watch a lot of film video essays. How about <laughs> this one that does film, but mostly music. Cool. All right. So that's called trash theory. You can check that out on YouTube. Uh, it yeah. also says here that you've been uh, on the hunt for something, right? <laughs> okay. So because I am both a child and old at the same time, um, I have <laughs> spent so much time on YouTube watching vine compilations because as much as I, I have a love-hate relationship with TikTok, like Vine was my app. Mm-hmm. I think it was perfect because you only had seven seconds, so people couldn't overstay their welcome with their bad jokes. You got in, you got out. It was great. I think I've seen every Vine compilation on YouTube, like period. I think I've seen all of them. <laughs> but there is like this high that I get that is unmatched when I find a compilation that has videos in it that I've not seen before. Mm. Um, and last night, my wife found one. Have no idea who made it. It's some person that's like, you know, really cool vines, 85 or something. I don't Mm -hmm. know. But there was like four vines in there that was like, I have never seen this before. Oh my God. So yeah, in a 20 minute video, there was 35 seconds that I had never seen. And that's all I needed. Oh my God, BJ, you're just like out here chasing the dragon. (laughs) I mean, seriously, like this is, this is my Moby Dick and I'm going to find this white whale. Well, best of luck to you in what sounds like an extremely uh, time-consuming activity there. (laughs) It's just what I do at the end of night when I just want to shut my brain off and just not think about anything. I Usually I'll be like, TikToks with Vine energy, or like, best underrated Vines, or people Mm -hmm. be like, Vines that really butter my egg roll, and it's like, yep, I'm going to watch that. (laughs) And 20 minutes later, it's like, I saw all of those before, but I don't care. It's like a nice warm blanket. (laughs) All right. What have you been recent uh, reading recently? I should say, um, not the New York Times. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can go on Twitter.com for all of that, or just Google why are people boycotting the New York Times, and you know it's transphobia. Uh, so not that. But uh, I read an amazing academic uh, paper that is available online called "Vampire Werewolves and Other Humans." Learning from Participatory Responses to the Representation of Native Americans in Twilight by Joanna Siegel. Um, So as people may or may not know, I run a podcast called This Ends at Prom where I talk about teen girl movies. And next month we're doing sequels to films we've already talked about. So we're going to do Twilight New Moon and talk about the horrific indigenous representation um, and the way that Stephanie Meyer sort of manipulated you know, indigenous lore to make her werewolf thing. And I wanted to hear from actual um, indigenous people. So I read this, this piece. And what was interesting is that, yes, you get, you know, the firsthand account, which I love, and it is extremely valuable. But Joanna Siegel makes this argument that when it comes to certain movies or pop culture phenomenons, um, calling an audience an audience is inaccurate and almost borderlines on being problematic because the idea of being an audience is that you're passive, that like you're watching something and like you're there, but really it's, you know, you're just taking it in for what it is. But Mm -hmm. when it comes to something like a Twilight or in, you know, our senses like the MCU, 
you're not a passive participant. You're an active participant. It becomes part of your life. It becomes part of your identity. So what happens when there are things in these movies that people like make part of their identity that come from the identities of like actual communities already yeah and that has been fascinating to dive into huh yeah that's i've never considered that before and that sounds like something i should read i don't really know much about the twilight movies i feel like i've only seen a handful of them but that larger point is is uh, it feels like it could definitely apply like you're saying to a lot of different things so uh i'm gonna have to, <laughs> gonna have to dig this up maybe you can send me a link to it and i'll pr- try to drop it in the show notes yeah so definitely it's really um, it's really fascinating and like the twilight movies and books are trash like kind of glorious trash depending on your perspective but uh you know there's a quote in there where i was just like oh man that was like we are moving away from a world in which some produce and many consume in which some produce and many consume media toward one in which everyone has a more active stake in the culture than what is produced and that is like oh yeah that's the mm-hmm. world we live in right now that is yeah. the mcu that is dc that is disney adults that is everything yeah 100 percent. wow Okay, cool. Yeah, so I'll, I'll definitely drop a, a link to that in the show notes. Um, all right, I just wanted to mention four things that I've been watching. I caught up with Kunk on Earth, which is a documentary comedy series that is now on Netflix. I think it uh, premiered on the BBC or BBC Two um, earlier last year, but it is now streaming on Netflix. Uh, have you seen this, BJ? Do you know anything about? Okay, Philomena so I have Kunk? not. <laughs> I have not seen it. All I have seen is all of the people that are like, "What is Kunk?" <laughs> over and yeah. over again. So I'm thrilled that you actually watched it because now I have an in. Yeah, uh, my wife heard from a bunch of people that this was great, and uh, and I had no idea what this what this was. But uh, this the actress Diane Morgan plays this character called Philomena Kunk, who is a sort of um, TV host, like investigative reporter type of character. And she, in five episodes, which are all, I don't know, I want to say like 20, 30 minutes long, uh, goes through the entire history of the world and and tackles, you know, huge topics like religion and, and um, faith and like art and the Renaissance and like the rise of <laughs> industrialization and like all sorts of basically like condenses the entire world's history into these five uh, comedic episodes. And it's basically her in a very, very dry British wit walking through locations and talking to the camera and making jokes. And, um, and, and then those are intercut with interviews that she does with experts on the topics that she's talking about and the questions that she asks in a completely straight faced way are just ludicrous and ridiculous and like obviously wrong and flawed. And the fun of the show is watching these people who are, you know, who have spent their life in academia or whatever, um, you know, just being completely like trying to keep a straight face and trying to not be flustered by this woman who is sitting across from them and asking the most ridiculous questions they've, they've ever heard. So um, it's, it's like, I don't know. I, I guess I would I would call it like um, disposable comedic entertainment, but like mm-hmm. really, really well done. Like the uh, the production values are great. They clearly like flew her all over the world. She's like walking through Rome and you know Ven or uh, Florence rather, and like a, a lot of you know uh, great um, on location type of stuff. And the the cinematography is really great. The locations are are really nice to look at. So it, it reminds me of 
the type of thing you're talking about, like end of the day show, just kind of like, you know, turn it on to, to laugh a little bit as you uh, ease out of one day and into the next. So that's called Kunk on Earth and it's on Netflix right now. That sounds so up my alley. It's ridiculous. I'm going to yeah. end up binging that this weekend. <laughs> yeah, it's very fun. Um, I also on the Criterion channel, I watched uh, James Baldwin, The Price of the Ticket, which is a like an hour and a half documentary about James Baldwin. I've been slowly making my way through some of his books. I've read, I think, three, two or three of his books and and seen a couple documentaries on him already. Um, but this one is more of a sort of um, macro perspective. It, it sort of tracks his whole life story. And there's a lot of footage from his funeral and, and people who were giving speeches there and, and uh, people like Maya Angelou who were reading passages from his works to the camera and talking about, not at his funeral, but, but separately from that. Um, and just talking about how important he was as a, as a writer and figure and thinker. And um, it's just really, really inspiring to see like, God, I, I read if Bill street could talk and just feel like every human on, on the planet should read that book. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, it's really, um, it, yeah, like I said, sort of inspiring to watch uh, this person. And there's a ton of footage of Baldwin himself, like where it just seems like cameras were just, not constantly, but often following him around just in his day-to-day life, which is really fascinating stuff to see. So um, he's like, yeah, uh, in in my view, just like one of the, one of America's like best thinkers and um, oh, yeah, God, yeah. <laughs> really, really uh, great stuff. So if you have the Criterion Collection, Criterion Channel, um, check out James Baldwin, The Price of the Ticket. It is It is worth your time, I think. Uh, I also watched Topper from 1937, which <laughs> stars uh, Cary Grant and... Who's the female lead in this movie? Um, oh, Constance Bennett. And uh, the the basic premise of Topper is uh, Topper, the, the titular Topper is a guy who works at a bank. Uh, he's like this sort of, I don't know, like 50s, 60 year old guy who's sort of stuck in this loveless marriage. And his wife is constantly like uh, nagging him and telling him every little thing, to, you know, what to do and where to be and what time. It's just constantly checking him and uh, checking in on him and sort of like, um, driving this guy into the ground and the, the there's this fun loving couple that he knows played by Cary Grant and Constance Bennett who um, I think Cary Grant's character is like an investor or one of the board of directors at, at the bank that Topper works at and uh, he's sort of like jealous of their relationship and they're sort of uh, carefree fun loving ways they, they party a lot and drink a lot and <laughs> uh, in the b- beginning of the movie they get in a car crash and die and they uh, their ghosts are sort of like sitting around and they're not sure how to transition on to the ne- to the next life. So um, they take it upon themselves to basically turn Topper's life around and sort of inspire him to like live a, a more vibrant life than the one that he was living before. So um, it's a pretty goofy movie. It doesn't really hold up. Like this is one of those films that feels like when, when you watch something like this, you remember that they really cranked out like a hundred movies a year, you know, mm-hmm. like these guys were just absolutely going for it and just, you know, working like, I don't, I don't remember, I don't know the, the exact timelines. I don't want to get those wrong by saying the wrong numbers, but like they were absolutely just churning out movies left and right back then. So um, this is one where it feels like, you know, could have used another pass or two with the script to really <laughs> tighten things up a little bit, but um, there's some fun stuff in here. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Topper. Uh, Did you it watch out. it in black and white or in like the weird bizarro colorized version? Jeez, oh, No, I, 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 wherever possible, I watch it in the original form. <laughs> um, there was a movie called beat the devil with uh, Humphrey Bogart that I watched. I want to say a year or so ago that was on Amazon prime. It was streaming on Amazon and, 
my wife and I turned it on. And we're like, this looks really weird. The color in this looks bizarre. And we found out like after we watched it that it was like done after the fact and it was not originally intended to be colorized. So I felt cheated and like I had done something <laughs> horribly wrong by watching a movie in, the, in its improper form. Uh, but no, I, I, it was in black and white. Um, this was oh, just good. Uh, on um, uh, Turner Classic Movies. So um, it may still be there. I think there's a, a TCM app that I don't have, but maybe if you do, you could check out Topper. It might be streaming elsewhere as well. And yeah, then the first I time wanted- I watched that was in college and our t- our professor did like a side by side of the black and white and the colorized and all of us were like this is awful uh, <laughs> why uh, would you do this terrible terrible do, do you have any memories of of topper do you uh think fondly of that movie or kind it was fine like a lot of those movies from that time period sort of run together unfortunately mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but yeah it uh if i remember correctly it is either the first movie to be digitalized in color uh after the fact or one of like the first one that was given a re-release professionally i don't remember the specifics oh, um so that's why I've seen it in both forms <laughs> um, because yeah, otherwise like it's a fine movie, but it's not anything to really write home about for me, but that I will never forget of just seeing that side by side on the big like projector in our classroom and being like, this looks like ass. I don't like yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the last thing I saw was uh, high flying bird, the 2019 uh, sports drama directed by Steven Soderbergh, which is also streaming on Netflix. Um, this one stars Andre Holland as uh, a basketball agent who, who uh, is working for a, an agency in New York city. And there's a, a lockout in the NBA and it's all about the sort of uh, machinations that he goes through in order to uh, make money for his clients. And there's a, he has like the sort of hottest, like, rookie who's about to come into the league as one of his clients and uh there's a lot of back and forth about uh, basically the 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 main sort of thrust of the movie is like um giving players their own power in a scenario that is controlled by you know a bunch of old white men in boardrooms basically in in the Mm -hmm. league in the in the nba and it's about the idea of like um, sort of hitting them where it hurts and and this lockout and like the the negotiations that are happening between the players and the league and the coaches and all of that stuff and like the idea that players um you know if you want to if if the if the circumstances are correct you can uh, the little guy can band together and rise up and really like overthrow a system that is put in place to keep them subjugated in a way um so like there's some some big ideas here and some good performances by Andre Holland and uh, Zee Bates and Sonia Sohn I, I was happy to see her after seeing her in The Wire a million years ago um and this is one of those movies that like the main character is always five steps ahead of where you think they are. And I always find those to be so satisfying. It it Mm -hmm. almost reminds me a little bit of Ocean's Eleven, like the the Soderbergh Ocean's Eleven. It's not quite as, um, as like glitzy and and fun as that movie is. So I don't want to give people the wrong impression, but like you can definitely see that the same person made them, uh, made made these two movies, you know, um, there's a little bit of a, a shared DNA there. So, um, yeah, it's always great to see Andre Holland. I really loved his work in, the Nick in particular. So, mm-hmm. um, and actually I think uh, Terrell Alvin McCraney, who wrote uh, Moonlight, which Andre Holland starred in as well, uh, wrote the screenplay for this movie too. So uh, this is another one of Soderbergh's filmed on an iPhone movies. Gotcha. Um, so, you know, might be worth watching if you're uh, a film fanatic who is just curious to see what that looks like and, and miss this movie when it came out back in 2019, as I did. So High Flying Bird streaming on Netflix right now. Um, what have you been watching, BJ? Um, I have not been nearly as like 
cultured and versed as you with what I've been watching lately. Um, so I'm currently making my way through season two of Hacks, um, which I am obsessed with. I think Gene Smart is just on another level on the show. And it's also just really, really smart writing. But mm-hmm. that's nothing new. Like they got plenty of Emmys. People already know that that's good. Um, so I don't yeah, need to spend- so, It's so great. How it's far so into good. season two are you right now? Uh, we have t- like two more episodes until we're done with the season. Because um, I watched the first season when it came out and then the second season dropped and like I just never got around to actually finishing it. Yeah, so There were a million things. When Hack season two came out, I don't remember exactly what shows were coming out around the same time, but it feels like no joke. There were like five or six yeah. shows that were premiering <laughs> all in the same you know two week span. And it was like it, it's impossible to keep up with all of this at once. Yeah, pretty much. And I was like, you know, I feel like I can watch this now and like HBO is not going to be like, we're going to cancel this Emmy award winning show. Like, yeah. then again, who knows at this point? Um, but I've just been having a great time kind of going through that and seeing where their adventures take them. Cause I know that they're, I think they're working on season three right now. Um, so did that. Uh, I've also been watching the 26th season of South park, which now has two episodes out now. Um, and the the season opener, which was Cupid Ye, which was uh, kind of dissecting the Kanye situation and uh, the the situation uh, between black culture and Jewish culture being kind of pit against each other by mm-hmm. horrible bigots. Um, I thought it was really, really smart. It was also, to my knowledge, it's the first episode that Matt Stone wrote and directed completely on his own. Trey Parker was credited as assistant to Mr. Stone. Like, so Trey really didn't have anything <laughs> to do with it. Um, and I think that was a really smart call because uh, Matt really, really attacked like the anti-Semitism that's being perpetuated in our culture right now in a way that I thought was really clever. Um, I think they could have gone a little harder honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this past week, they were kind of talking about um, the Harry and Meghan Markle situation. But of course, un- instead of ever addressing it as the British monarchy, it's always the Canadian monarchy. That's not really a thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then also this idea of like how kids today feel that they need to be to brand themselves like younger and younger, where it's like you don't actually have like a personality, you have a brand. And oh, yeah. that was really bleak. Um <laughs> Kind of watching that because I was like, oh, oh, no, this is true, though. And this is upsetting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, so far, the season's been like off to a pretty good start. Obviously, it is South Park. It is hit or miss. It is also an acquired taste for people. Um, so I don't lament anybody who's not going to watch it. Um, and it's also not a show that I like scream from the rooftops like everybody needs to watch it because it's not. It's mm-hmm. a show that if it works for you, it does. Um, I perpetually find it fascinating uh, last year for its anniversary i said that it is one of our greatest cultural rorschach tests uh because a lot of times how people feel about the show um says more about the person than what was actually on the show mm-hmm. um so i'm just endlessly fascinated with with watching it um and then i'm also working my way through freaks and geeks um i've watched the series probably I don't know, like six times <laughs> in my <laughs> lifetime at this point. Um, but my wife has not seen it since like she was really, really young. So we've been rewatching it for our podcast. And uh, God, that show is so good. Like yeah. it is just like I'm always going to be sad we didn't get more of it. But I'm so glad that the season we got is kind of distilled perfection and mm-hmm. seeing, uh, cause, you know, because last time I was on the show, I talked about how I'm watching Shrinking. So watching like Jason Siegel like as a baby oh, yeah. <laughs> and then watching him on Shrinking, it's just like, oh, look how much you've grown. Um, it's it's just been really interesting to to go back and and revisit all of these actors who are now 
just you know larger than life when this is kind of their breakthrough and it's it's they've always had it they've always been talented yeah the casting in that show is just unreal and and like i feel like i watched it maybe three or four years ago and it it still holds up it it really is like a timeless i think the the period setting gives it this timeless feeling that just makes it uh imminently rewatchable so it's great definitely um, I want to ask you one thing about South Park, but jumping back a second, the uh, is is Randy still running the um, the weed farm? Because that's about <laughs> where I tapped out. Where like, because I hated that subplot so much, and I feel like they they did that for like the back half of a season or something, and they started a new season, and he was still doing that. And I was like, you know what? I, I just I've watched the show for like twelve years or whatever it is, and I just I can't I can't do it anymore <laughs> with this subplot. So is he still so, doing? So he is, but they have gotten really clever in how they handle it. Uh, They kind of started dismantling uh, the structure of it with their Paramount Plus movies because the show is on Comedy Central and then streams on HBO Max, but the specials are on Paramount Plus. It's a nightmare Mm -hmm. uh, juggling all of it. But uh, they started dismantling it a bit with their movies where, you know, Randy is kind of being pushed out of doing it. It's not the center focus anymore. They still live in the new house on the farm, but that is nowhere near like the central focus anymore. Mm -hmm. And uh, Tolkien now lives across the street and, um, their family also runs a weed farm and they have um, they are called Credigy weed because they have street cred because they are the only black family in South Park. Um, and that was a whole thing in the movies to kind of like shut Randy down. Um, it, it's been really funny <laughs> to watch okay. them where they basically were like, yeah, we screwed this up. We went really hard into this line and it didn't work. Sorry about that. <laughs> All right, maybe I'll dip back in at some point. Um, all right, what have you been eating recently, BJ? Um, okay, so I haven't, <laughs> I've been gone grocery shopping in like a month uh, because I've just been very, very busy, and I'm the evening editor. So when I'm done with work, a lot of places are closed uh, by the time I get to the store. So I, I have to do it on the weekends. And lately, I've just wanted to be one with my couch and be a slug because the crushing weight of the world is killing me. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So I've been door dashing a lot. Um, which means I do a lot of Jack in the Box because it's the closest one to me, so I don't have to worry about waiting. <laughs> um, and the curse is that Jack in the Box has something called a munchies menu. They do not advertise it as being like things for people who are high, but all of the food has clearly been designed by someone who was high. Um, because it's like, here's a chicken sandwich with a hash brown and gravy and bacon. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to eat that because I'm a monster and a human trash compactor. Give it to me. Um <laughs> But then I've been trying to like balance it out in there because I live in I live in L.A. So there's a lot of like really overpriced health food places. And I live kind of close to a chop stop as well, which is just it's it's Chipotle, but chop salads. It's like you just walk in and you pick what you want and they make a giant salad the size of your head. So I've been trying to like offset the amount of jack in the box I've been eating with a very overpriced chop salad that I could make for pennies on the dollar if i just went grocery shopping but i haven't been able to yet (laughs) well it sounds like you're at zero you've really like yeah fully offset yeah that's exactly how diet and health and wellness work um Mm -hmm. exactly yeah take it (laughs) from us we're experts (laughs) um okay what have you been playing also i have a, a big question about this Power Wash Simulator got added to the Nintendo Switch. 
<laughs> yeah. So what is Power Wash Simulator? It is, the, I've never heard of this in my It life. is exactly what it sounds like. You are somebody who is armed with a power washer and they send you to like a filthy location, like a park or a car or whatever. And you simulate power washing and you have to get it clean and power wash off all of the gross grime and they time you and there's like accuracy and it is so zen in a way that I cannot put into words. I can't believe this is a game. But at the same time, it sounds so like, um, like so simple that it must be cathartic. And like, there's no- It is so cathartic. If you are somebody who gets like sucked into those rabbit holes where you watch like restocking videos on TikTok or like any of those things, like this is the type of game that will like scratch that itch in your brain. I first saw it, uh, my wife is an avid fan of the Game Grumps, like Let's Players. They've been around for like over a decade. So these aren't like young, like, hey guys, let's play video games. Like they're like, one of them's in their 40s. So <laughs> like they're adults and it's very refreshing to listen to adults talk and not like edgy 20 year olds. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But they were playing Power Wash Simulator and I just like zoned out watching it because I was like, this is this most soothing thing I have seen visually in a very long time. And uh, so then when it got added to the switch, my wife was like, guess what? I got you. And <laughs> yeah, I'm a menace with it. I will power wash anything. <laughs> Is the act of playing it as, uh, as cathartic as the act of watching it? Yes. Okay. Because like you just, you feel immediately like there's instant gratification because you're cleaning something. Mm-hmm. And in a weird way, it like makes me feel like I have control because it's like, oh, look how clean this is. Look how nice yeah. it is. Um, I treat my home the same way where I will just like randomly be like, I'm going to spend two hours and completely like scrub the grout in my bathroom. Like just that's who I am. Mm-hmm. And this is, a, now I can do it as a video game. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say you treat your home the same way. You just bring a I power washer power in wash there and everything. just go, go, go to town on the indoors and outdoors alike. <laughs> I mean, if I didn't have so many like alternative movie poster art where it's like one of 50, then I probably would. <laughs> but I can't All get right. those wet. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably a good, probably a good call there. Um, okay, yeah, I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode. We're not going to have an episode on Monday, but for Tuesday's episode, we're going to do a deep dive into Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which I also saw recently. I didn't want to talk about that yet because we're going to do a big spoiler discussion. So um, we'll see who I can get to, to join me on that episode, but that is what is going to happen over the next few days. Uh, enjoy your, I think it's President's Day on Monday. Is that the holiday? I think so, there, yeah. Uh, and you have the day off work. Congratulations. Congratulations to you. Enjoy the day off. Enjoy your time off. And that's going to do it for today's episode of Slash Film Daily. You can find more about a lot of the stuff that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Google, Overcast, Spotify, Apple, uh, you know, all of the places, basically. Please subscribe to our newsletter. Send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to uh, rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts specifically. That does help us out a lot. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you on Tuesday.